We are, uh, we are still in this series, uh, or we're going to be in this series for a while, called Culture. And um, uh, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has ushered in, or is coming, you know, he came in the Gospel here, and, and, and it's the first message he ever preached, and he was basically, um, he was basically saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and these are what my people, the people that are going to, that are going to live in my kingdom uh, are going to look like this. And so the Sermon on the Mount really describes the, the, the inhabitants of his kingdom, which is, that's describing us. If, we're, if we receive the free gift of grace and salvation, what we read here should be characterized within our lives. Um, that's hard. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's extremely hard because Jesus is saying, this culture that I'm ushering in looks vastly different from this culture, the dominant culture in which you're living in. Uh, by the way, this culture will not supersede my culture because this is what my people will look like. And so, But with that, you and I live in that tension right now. We live in this human. We live in this broken world. We live in this um, um, uh, this this tension of our of our. You know, as Paul talks about our our um, um, kind of our heavenly spirit feuding with our earthly spirit, and um, we live in the tension of that. And, and and as we look at the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, it's oft, it's often been uh, um, articulated as the Beatitudes or coined as the Beatitudes, attitudes, be attitudes. And so as we look at these, Jesus really, he begins to describe what we should look like. And, and I don't know about you, but it's hard. It's hard. It's one of the hardest things we'll ever do. Our human nature fights it with everything that it, ha- that it has, but it's not to the point where we, or it's not like we get to the point where we say, well, I can't do this, so I'm just, you know, it's, I guess he's just giving us a suggestion. No, it's not a suggestion. He's saying this is what we will look like. So with that, we've been looking at... at the ones and today we're going to look at being merciful. Now I don't know about you, but that comes that can be, that can come hard at times, right? Because let's be honest, mercy and one definition of mercy is grace in action. And let's be honest, mercy is when you're extending something to somebody that doesn't deserve something, right? You're extending grace to someone that doesn't deserve it. That's mercy. Let me remind you of the biggest demonstration of grace mercy ever, and it's right here in the cross. Not a single person in here could say, I, can, I deserve eternal life. I deserve the grace of God because I've lived a life that is pure. I've lived a life that is flawless. I've lived a life that, that's, that's like Jesus' life. I have lived a perfect life. You see, we were born into this world flawed from the beginning. Out of the gate, we've got the curse on us. And so, right out of the gate, we're born as enemies of God. But yet, God says, I love them so much. I love you so much. I love every single one of you so much that I will provide a way for you to have grace and mercy and have this intimate relationship with me. And so, Jesus goes to the cross extending this and giving this demonstration of grace to us and giving us mercy, something that we definitely don't deserve, right? And so, as we look at this, uh, today we're going to talk about mercy. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, in the New Living Translation, it articulates it this way God blesses those who are merciful. And I need you to say this real big and loud. This is where we're all going to participate together. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown. Okay, one more time. That wasn't loud enough. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown. Mercy. mercy. Exactly. I'm going to give you mercy. Think about it. If you're sitting in here, 
You call yourself a Christian. You have salvation. Let me ask you a question. Can you receive mercy without extending mercy? God, thank you so much for saving me. Thank you so much for giving me your grace. But, you know, and I thank you so much for that. And then we turn and we breathe contempt or something all over somebody. It doesn't make sense, does it? We're merciful because we've received mercy. We're merciful because we understand. Listen to how Eugene Peterson says it uh, in his paraphrase, the message. He says, you're blessed when you care. And at the moment of being careful, you and yourself, you find yourselves cared for. I love the way he articulates that. So the question, because I'm going to ask four questions today and we're going to answer those together. But, but the first question I think is this, how do I become merciful? I mean, how is it then I can become merciful? If that's what I'm, you know, if this is one of the Beatitudes and Jesus is saying this is one of the characteristics that's going to make up His people as part of His kingdom, how do I become merciful? That seems to be a logical question, right? How do I become merciful? Well, it really, when we read the Beatitudes, it really articulates what, how to become merciful. It starts with the very first one that says we have to be poor in spirit. If you're not poor in spirit, if you're arrogant, if you're narcissistic, if you're audacious and all this stuff about salvation and all these other things, there's no way you can be merciful. Someone who is merciful has embraced that they're broken. Someone who can extend mercy to someone else is, is you look at someone else and you see that they're broken too. They're broken like you were. They're just as, they're just as bad off at times as you are. And so you become poor in spirit. You become at the end of your rope where you say, you know, unless Jesus steps in here, I, can't, I, can, I can never become merciful. I can never be the person that God has called me to be. And so when you look at the Beatitudes, the very first three talk about it. The, the, the way we bec- how do we become merciful? Number one, we become poor in spirit. Number two, we begin to grieve the things that grieve God, that grieves God. We begin to look at our old way of who we used to be, or even our current way at times, and it moves us because we look at it and we say, there's no way I deserve the grace of God, and we grieve over that. We, we grieve, and we, become, we look around and we see the world as Jesus sees the world, and it grieves us. So we become, we become poor in spirit, we become at the end of our ropes, we grieve at the things Jesus grieves over, and then we become meek individuals. We become, you know, we're, we're meek People, we're meek individuals where, where we realize, how can I be audacious? How can I be so arrogant at times over things? Now, I get that we're human at times it creeps in. But for the most part, if we're going to become merciful, we become poor in spirit. We grieve over things of God. We, we become meek individuals. We begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. The things of God. Not just hungering for God, God, you know, and we made that delineation last week where we said we, we have this sense of hunger, like Scott talked about a couple of weeks ago, but we don't only have a sense of hunger, we hunger for God's righteousness. And what happens when we hunger for God's righteousness? As you continue to read the Beatitudes, we become pure in heart, right? We become pure in heart. We begin to desire the things of God. We begin to become peacemakers. We become people that are merciful. That's what happens. It, it's like algebra. If we don't get the very first one or the second, we can't continue to build if we're not poor in spirit. 
We can't continue to, to we, can't, can, we can't be meek individuals if we're not poor in spirit and we grieve over the things of God. It doesn't work that way. So we begin to embrace these things and we allow God. It's living in the state of humility and humbleness. That's how we become merciful people. The key to becoming that way, again, is to embrace these beatitudes as they, as they build on one another. So, that's how we become merciful. But let's define what mercy is. That's the next question. Therefore, what is mercy? And, and one way that we're going to describe mercy is by describing the opposite side of it. Sometimes it's easier to understand something when we look at the opposite side of it, what it is not. And in the passage of Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, we begin to see how Jesus defines mercy and also what He says is not mercy. And in this particular situation, what's taking place is Jesus is eating with the sinners. He's eating with the scum. He's eating with the outcasts. And this creates a huge issue with the, the people of, you could say, the church at that time. The, 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 the rulers. And in the message translation it says, Later when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house, who was a tax collector who they despised, um, with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees saw this, okay? When the Pharisees saw this, these are the leaders at the time, these are the ones that supposedly had it all together. When they saw this, him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit. And they go to Jesus. They lit into Jesus' followers and they said, What kind of example is this from your teacher? Acting cozy with crooks and riffraff, the outcasts and all of that. Jesus overhearing shot back, Who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. Now this is where he defines it. He defines kind of the opposite here. He says, I'm after mercy. I'm after mercy. What am I not after? Say it real loud. Religion. The Pharisees had religion down pat. They had the law in which they added an immense amount to it. They had it down. And Jesus says, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. So Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, He points out that mercy is... is is not religion, okay? And in Hosea 6.6, 6, we read God speaking through the minor prophet Hosea, and in the NLT translation of this, listen to what it says. I, God speaking this, He says, I want to show love. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifice. We could replace that word sacrifice with religion. That was their religion. It was all based on sacrifice at that time. And he says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Basically what he was saying is, hey, you got the religious thing down pat. That's awesome. You've got it down pat. But what you're missing is love. I don't want the sacrifices. I don't want your... This is what Jesus was saying. I don't want your religion. I want mercy. I want love. I want what truly matters. He said, you know, and he's saying, you got this other stuff down. And then he begins to talk about these things. And in, in, in the Gospels, we read a couple different situations that he, that he, that he uses to, to, to kind of highlight that. There was one instance where... He talks, you know, again, he addresses the Pharisees and he lays out one of them, woe to you. And whenever Jesus says woe to you, it means that you're really in a bad position. 
I mean, you're really in a bad spot. And Jesus says this. He, he comes off and He says this. He, I'm going to read it to you. It's not on our notes here. But it says in Matthew 23, verses 23 through 24, He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides. And then he throws this out there. You strain out gnats and you swallow camels. And what essentially what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, again, you've got all the trivialities of life figured out. <laughs> you've got all the little insignificant details figured out, but you're missing the big things. You're missing the things that really matter. And this is what he got onto the Pharisees and the scribes and the people of that time over and over and over and over again. You've got your religion down. You've got it all worked out. You've got every little detail. You've got every little dot. And you follow it so much, but you miss the big things. You miss justice. You miss mercy. You miss love. You're missing it. And he hammered on it. And he was basically telling them, you're missing mercy. You're missing mercy. Just like the Pharisees. Remember when they saw him eating? When I, we just read that passage of Scripture. They saw him eating with the people who what? Needed him the most. Over and over he said, I see Israel like sheep without a shepherd. His heart was moved with compassion. His heart was touched and moved because he saw people that were broken. He saw people that were a wreck. And instead of leaving them in that condition, he went to them because they're the ones that truly needed them. He didn't outcast them and saying, wow, you don't deserve this at all. Instead, he went to them just like he does you and I. Just like He's done people sitting in here this morning where we've received that free gift of grace and salvation. Some of us in here this morning, we have a story to tell because we have been broken. And instead of Jesus casting us out, He came with us with mercy and grace. And He says, I love you. And instead of just leaving us out there, He pursued us. For those of you that haven't accepted that free gift of grace and salvation, that's what He's doing this morning. He's reaching out to you and He's saying, I want you to be a part of my family. I love you so much that I want you to be a part of this. And it has nothing to do with religion. It has nothing to do with systems and all those things. It has to do with sacrifice. or it has to do with mercy and love and grace. And Jesus hammered the Pharisees about that because they were obstacles to that. And they kept people from experiencing them. And he says, man, you get caught up in all these trivialties of life. You get caught up in all the minutia, all the little things, and you miss the big ones. You, sw you strain out the very little gnats and then you swallow these huge camels. You're missing it. There's another parable that he used, and I want to spend a few moments on this real quick. But he talks about the Good Samaritan. Remember that whole parable? And do you remember what really started this parable? Someone came to him and said, how do I obtain eternal life? Now let's, let's break this down. Eternal life literally means mercy, right? I mean, that makes sense, right? Because, because no, there's not a single person that deserves eternal life. The only right reason you and I are sitting in here this morning with eternal life is because Jesus loves us so much that He demonstrates mercy. He demonstrates grace to us through mercy and we're able to have eternal life. And so eternal life is synonymous with mercy. And someone comes and basically asks that question. How do I obtain eternal life? How do I obtain this mercy? And Jesus says, well, what do you, you know, have, you read the, have you read the good book or the law or whatever? And He says, I have. 
Love the Lord your God with all your strength. Heart. You know, I mean, I don't want to paraphrase this. In Luke 10, uh, 25-37, it says, he, said, he answered, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to them, You have answered right. Do this, and you will live. You will have eternal life. And then, Because when you start loving your neighbor, that means you're extending mercy, right? And then after that, he starts teaching on this parable of the Samaritan, of the Good Samaritan. And, it, and, and so what he does, he, 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 he brings this story. He, he creates this story. And he says, there's this guy. He's, he's along the road and these robbers come along and they beat him and they steal from him and they leave him for dead. And he said, he, he begins to tell the story how a priest walked by, saw the guy but walked by, continued to walk by because he was on his journey. A Levite came by, walked by, saw him but walked by uh, because he was on his journey too. And then lo and behold, a Samaritan went by. Now, in this situation, you've heard us talk about this before, a Samaritan was absolutely despised by the Jews. They were considered half-breeds. They were, the, they were very much scum. And Jesus is saying, it's the Samaritan that did the right thing. He said the Samaritan stopped and he got down and he saw the guy and he got down and he took his stuff and he bandaged the guy up to the best he could and he showed love, he showed grace, he showed mercy to this guy. He puts this guy on his horse or his mule or whatever it is and he takes him to the hospital and he says, here, fix him up, bandage him up and whatever the resources you need, whatever other expenses there are, just bill it to me and I will take care of it. And Jesus says, who was the one that showed mercy the most? The Good Samaritan. The priest and the Levite can be equated to religion. They were the Pharisees. They were, Levites were your worship leaders. They were the church at that time. And Jesus was saying, you've got this down, but what you're missing is what's most important. Where you look at the person and you see you're moved with compassion. So in this, in this particular parable, there's about four things that he, that he talks about that he says, that he that describes as mercy. The first one is this. You see distress. If you're a person that has mercy, if you're a person that is filled with mercy and grace, you see distress. Why do you think I pray for us to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear? Because instead of walking by, we begin to see people that are broken. We begin to see people that are hurting. We see people that's not whole. And we get down and we get down with them and we help them. Mercy sees distress. It not only sees distress, but it moves us into internal compassion where you see it and you're moved. You're internally moved. You have compassion for this person that doesn't know Jesus. You have compassion for this person that may know Jesus, but they're broken, they're hurting, they're suffering. But you see it, and so you stop. And you're internally moved by compassion. You're also externally moved by compassion because you do something about it. And then the fourth one is that it happens even when uh, it may fly against religion or some of the things that you may just be so convinced about does that make sense jesus says that's the good samaritan or that's the person that's full of mercy the one that sees the one that's moved the one that does something the one that that is stirred the one that says you know what i i it's about this you know it's about this it's about meeting the broken our, our, i absolutely love our vision here at element church to restore the broken one life at a time 
Well, what if that goes against, you know, what if they're doing something? You know what? Where, where, do, you, where do you say, hey, we can't help you? Jesus is saying, we're moved. We're people of mercy. We're moved. The third thing here is this, and this is going to be the one that's going to make us bristle, and it's very hard, is when do we show mercy? You know, should we always show mercy? This is where the rubber meets the road, okay? This is where the rubber meets the road. Does this mean that in every situation you come upon, you show mercy? In every situation you come upon, you, you always neglect and you always fault towards the mercy. Is that what that means? Or, or is there a part where you live in the tension of it? And I think there's a part where you have to learn how to live in the tension of it. That it's not just so clear cut. And I think that's what makes it so hard for us at times where we say, I just want to be about the religious part. I just want to be about something that I can control a lot easier. I want to be about something over here instead of living in the tension of being a merciful person, for example. Let's say you have a child that's going wayward and you need to discipline them. Do you discipline them? Or do you look at them and you say, I'm going to show mercy and I'm going to give a few words and go the other direction? That's hard, isn't it? What if you're an employer? What if you have your own business? What if someone in your company or that you've hired isn't fulfilling their commitment do you let them go do you just fire them do you just you know do you, do you bring them along do you show them mercy and say well i can't you know i'm gonna you know uh, you see what i'm saying it's not clear cut is it you know how do you do that how do you walk what if you're what if you're a politician what if you're a judge and there's someone that really needs a break do you go completely by the law to say this person broke the law? You know, I think Doug probably lives in this tension at times uh, in his in his particular field of work, being a, a policeman, and some of the others that are policemen here too. But do you, it, every single time, do you throw the book at someone? Are there times where you show? You, you know what I'm saying? That's hard, isn't it? Living in that tension, how do you resolve that? How do you resolve living? How do you look at your kid and say? You know, you got to discipline. There's, I'm telling you what, there's times where me as a parent, where I just, you've been there. You've been there. You just want to take, you just, you just want to take your child and you just want to do unspeakable things. I'm just kidding. That's not like that. There, let's be honest. There's times where my child does something and it just grates on my nerves and after a while you just explode. And you just go off. Then a little bit later, you hear this voice in your head. That's you with me. That's where you, deny, you, know, you renounce your religion. You say, I'm done. I'm walking away. Right? Wouldn't it be easier to do that? Wouldn't it be easier just to throw in the towel and say, I'm done with this, God. I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. Because there's times where you just absolutely blow it. And then on the backside, the Spirit of God's coming in and He's saying, man, you are not merciful whatsoever. Does that mean you don't discipline? Does that mean as a judge or a cop or whatever that you throw the book at everybody? Is there times where you just, you know, and there's times where you do, I think you do do that. But here's the issue. Here's the, how do you resolve that? And I know this is a cliche. I get it. And I'm telling you as I say it, it just makes me cringe. But I don't know any other way than to say this. That is why it is so imperative for us to be poor in spirit and stay so close to Jesus. Because there's times where you do have to sit down with your kid and instead of really just hanging them out to dry, you say, you know what, I'm going to teach you mercy. I need to teach you mercy here. 
There's times when a criminal is given grace to teach them mercy. But that's hard, isn't it? When do you do it? When do you not do it? It's extremely hard. Some of us want to think so much into black and white, and it's like, holy cow, man. (laughs) Thank goodness God doesn't do that with us. There's times where there's grace. But that's hard. And so, you know, I'm saying, you know, it's so hard to do this, but it means we stay so close to Jesus. Listen to what it says in Ephesians, in the message, chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. And it's, you know, it's the gift of God. Not the result of works so that no one may boast. God looks at us and He says, you're, bro- you're broken too. But I love you. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, and I, He extends that gift of grace and salvation to us. And the next passage here, it says, now God has us where uh, He wants us. With, you know, with all the time in this world, the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving us is all His idea. And all His work. And all we do is trust Him enough to let Him do it. It's God's gift from the start to the finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. And it says, no, we neither make nor... We neither, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both that making... or both. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join Him in the work He does, the good work He has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. God comes. He loves us. He, he, he pursues us. He just puts all this love on us. He, he extends grace to us. There's time where God disciplines us, though. Holy cow, man. There's, God, there's times where God just... He, because He loves us so much. That He doesn't want us to continue down this path. Here's the, here's the thing. When we look at the Beatitudes, that's what it's all about. Blessed. Blessed. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when you understand to be poor in spirit. And you live it out. Blessed are you when you finally get it and you understand what it means to live in a humble, contrite state. Blessed are you when... When you really begin to see the world the way God sees it. Blessed are you when you become meek. Because you're going to live life to the fullest. You're going to experience life the way it was initially intended by God. That was the way it was created. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when you hunger and you thirst for righteousness. Because you're going to become pure. You're going to become merciful people. You're going to become peacemakers. And then he ends up by saying you're going to be prosecuted because that's not the dominant culture. But blessed are you, because you've discovered it. In this passage, he also talks about how wide the gate is and how uh, narrow the path is to dest- or, uh, how wide the gate is to destruction, narrow the path to eternal life. This isn't easy stuff. But but as we look at this today, you know, and asking ourselves this question, the last question is this: uh, really deals with salvation, because mercy is all about salvation. Right? I mean, we talked about that. Mercy is this, you know, you know, you know as we continue to, to extend mercy, we extend mercy because God has extended mercy to us and continues to do so. We're going to close with one last song, but we're going to, before we do that, as the worship team comes, we're going to take uh, communion. I can't think of a better time to celebrate communion because this is God. <laughs> this is God. Philippians 2, um, Paul tells us that God, through Jesus, saw that there's no way that we could ever obtain to this. 
We could never obtain to this eternal life. We could never obtain to this life to the fullest. We could never obtain to, to, to having this intimate relationship with God. And instead of us, instead of Him leaving us in that situation and saying, you know what? Go for it. Go for it. Instead of doing that, Jesus lays aside some of His attributes and He comes, He steps down, and He takes our punishment. Something that we could never fulfill. He takes it upon Himself and extends grace to us through mercy. Mercy in action. What a powerful, powerful demonstration of mercy. But here's the thing, guys. As we take communion, you don't have to be a partner here at Element or a member here at Element, but what you do have to be is a part of the family of God. Because you're taking something and you're reflecting on something that God has done for you. So let me ask you this question. This is what I want you to do as we prepare our hearts for communion. This is grace in action. This is the ultimate step of mercy. Demonstration, picture of mercy. I don't want you to miss out on it if you're a if you're in the family of God, if you're if you're in Christ, that's not my point. Then my next point. But here's my point: if you're harboring things against someone else and you can't show someone else mercy, how can you come to the table and receive mercy from God? That doesn't that doesn't make sense. And so, what I would want you to do, if there are things within your heart right now that's off. Would you take a few minutes as we prepare ourselves? Would you take a few minutes and just don't just say, well, I'm in a bad spot. I'm not taking communion. No, why don't you do this? Why don't you confess it before God? And say, God, you already know this, but I'm really struggling. And maybe this would be a time where you become more humble and contrite. And you say, you know what? I want to get in, in I want to get I want to get in sync with you. And I want to confess this before you. And why don't you take communion today in a celebration sense that God gives you mercy and that you're going to take that mercy and you're going to extend it out to someone else that you may be harboring something or you have something going on where you're not wanting to show mercy and this week you show mercy and you resolve that particular situation. But instead of just not doing it, why don't you do what Jesus wants you to do and confess it, turn it over to Him and ask for strength and live in the fullness of the, of the blessed life. So, if I could get some ushers to come forward, and just a few of you. I need about four or five guys, so we need some more. Yeah, just if we need some other people to pop up and help out, please do. But uh, we're going to serve you in the seat. And what I want you to do is, I want you to take it. Uh, they're going to start with the bread first. They're going to take it. Uh, please take it. Take a piece. Hold it until we receive both the juice and the bread. Go ahead, and then we will uh, we'll take it together as a family. So if you guys would go ahead and just uh, take, take uh, the elements, then we will do it as a family together this morning. If you guys would stand with me, I want us to take this together as a family. And so we're going to sing a song here in a minute that talks about um, one of the phrases in it is uh, we're gonna we stand with our high or with our arms um, raised high and our hearts abandoned toward him and um, to prepare us for that though to, to be able to really sing that is you know I want us to take a minute to just reflect on this this um, this grace in action this mercy that we've talked about and Jesus saying blessed are you blessed are you when you when you're able to do this and so as we 
as we come here today in the presence of God and we we just um, we celebrate just the mercy that He's given us. Let's reflect on uh, what took place. And He said, you know, whenever you do this, remember me. You know, remember what you know. Remember what I've done. Remember that that my body was broken for you. My my physical body was broken for you. Today, let's remember that as we eat the mercy that He gave us. Let's take and eat the, the bread that represents His body. Secondly, He took the the wine or the juice, and He said, "This is this is my blood that was spilled." This was, my, this was my blood that I sacrificed for you. So this morning as we remember that, let's celebrate the, again the mercy that comes through the shedding of His blood. Let's take and let's drink. Jesus, we just give you great thanks this morning here today. and Acknowledge that we don't deserve this incredible gift that you give us. This grace, this mercy demonstrated or grace demonstrated by mercy, that we don't deserve any of that. But Jesus, you love us so much that that you do it. And so, Father, help us not to take that for granted. Help us not to look at that and just celebrate it and then go out and be on our own way. Kind of like that guy that was forgiven a lot, and he went out and got really trivial with some of the other things that some people owed him. But help us to to look at that and see that our we had a huge debt resolved, and that we could go out and... and uh, resolve some other huge debts that maybe uh, people owe us. And so let us let us become people that are just like you, merciful, and um, just and so that we can be all that you've created us to be and taste the life the, that you've um, that you so desperately want to give us. And so we just ask all this in your name.